Hey there, I'm Krista, your host for the Birding Tools Podcast. Each week, I'll delve into the wonderful world of birds for birding beginners and those wanting to get the lowdown on what goes into bird watching and identifying birds. Let's get started. First, I wanted to let you know that I have a new free audio mini-series course detailing the basics of getting started with birding. Over five days with audio straight to your inbox, you'll learn how to select and use a pair of binoculars, get acquainted with the setup of your bird field guide, download your local area's bird checklist, learn the five keys to bird identification, and get insights on how to connect with the birding community. No matter if you're just starting out or you want to freshen up on some of these topics, the series is for you. To get this free audio course, just visit the podcast show notes at birdingtools.com or visit the birdingtools.com homepage. This week on the Birding Tools podcast, I'm joined by Melissa Haftang, talented photographer, founder of the BC Young Birders Program, manager of the BC Rare Bird Alert, and reviewer for eBird. Melissa is a wealth of knowledge on all of these topics, and she also shares with us her perspective on what the birding community can do to be more inclusive. Not only is she incredible in the birding world, but she's also such an amazing person, so I was honored when she agreed to join me on the podcast. If you haven't seen her photography featured on the National Audubon social media pages or her features for her work with young birders, you'll definitely want to follow along on her journey and be inspired by her as much as she's inspired me. Okay, let's jump into the episode. Hello, Melissa. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really looking forward to getting to chat with you. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for asking me, Krista. So today we're going to be talking about bird photography and the British Columbia Young Birders Program, as well as diversity and inclusion in the birding world. And these are just things I'm really looking forward for you to share with everyone, your insights and expertise about. And I just have to say, your love for what you do really shines through in your photography and the programs with which you're involved and the young birders that you mentor. So I'm really appreciative of you for that. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Before we get started on all these other topics that we're going to talk about, could you just share with everyone how you first got started with birding? Well, I started when I was about five years old. Uh, My dad would take me to the local uh, wildlife sanctuary here. It's called Rifle Bird Sanctuary. And he'd get me feeding birds and I'd start feeding them by hand and learn what birds I'd see, like I'd go and see chickadees and we'd go home and read what, took off the birds that we'd seen in the field guide. I had a little golden field guide book and I just got more and more interested and would read about them as I grew older and I really studied field guides and that's how I learned bird identification. So you would look at all the different pictures in there and all the different birds and just think, wow, look at them all. Yeah. And I would just love to see more and more every day, every time I would go out as I grew older. Oh, that's awesome. Did you find, too, that after looking through the field guide, when you saw them actually in the field, you were making those associations, too? Yeah, because I would I would look for, you know, different plumage traits or and the habitat they were in. And I I would just uh, really help me to get stronger in my ID skills. Wow, that's so impressive, too. (laughs) So you said that you're an avid birder before you actually started photographing birds, and your bird photography is just stunning. But I'd love to learn more about how you got started with photography. Yeah, so I was definitely started out as a birder more, and about 2014, I got my first camera. 
actually it was my dad again who bought me a camera. He said you should start, you know, documenting your your sightings uh, better because I just had a little point and shoot. <laughs> and so he got me my first DSLR camera, and um, I just fell in love with it and taking different pictures and creating these memories that would you could go back in your after you printed out your images could go back and look at what you've seen over the years and those memory good memories associated with that and i just uh i did a photography workshop in california and i just got bigger lenses and more expensive (laughs) equipment and i just fell in love with uh photography because it really does capture these magic moments that while you're out birding and you can never forget them that way that's awesome and do you do any journaling too with your photographs you said just sort of remembering those moments or it's just sort of ingrained in your mind um, I do I do have a blog and I put like um, my trip reports and my photos on my blog there. Um, my blog is daretobird.blogspot.com and there's where I put all my uh, pictures. I also put them on Flickr and of course on Instagram. But yeah, and my blog is where I actually put like the trip reports and what the what pictures, you know, what they memory they're associated with, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> Yeah, and you have a wonderful blog, and the different stories that you tell from the field is just so interesting. <laughs> Thank you. I also put my pictures on eBird as well. I like to dress up my eBird checklist, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's perfect, too, being able to add to that. And information that they're collecting with that is so much more valuable when you're able to add a really stunning picture to it, too. For sure. And also with rarities, um, as an eBird reviewer myself, you're always, uh, you know, it's much easier to accept a, a rare bird record when you have good photo documentation. So it's really valuable for eBird as well, as you said, for the scientific data. And also it makes reviewers' lives easier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And how, how long have you been doing that for? Um, I've been a reviewer since 2016, and I do five different regions in British Columbia. Wow. Yeah. Keeps how me many- busy. <laughs> yeah. How many reviews do you think you do in a, a oh. year or so? <laughs> I, I don't know the exact number, but it's it's certainly a lot. Every day I review lots and lots of records, especially oh in Vancouver, because there's a lot of people here. Certain counties I review, there's less people, but Vancouver is a big one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, you've got a lot going on, too. So many good things. Yeah. So with your photography, what has your process been learning to photograph birds? Because there's one thing picking up a camera and and photographing birds, but I think it's the photographer really that brings that special light and that special eye to the picture that you're seeing. So what's been your process developing that? Well, for me, it's been I try to take artistic photography. So I try to show the habitat they're in and I try to also, you know, take ethical photography. So I you know, let the birds do their natural behavior. I don't interfere in that, uh, giving them their space and everything. And I, I shoot manual. And uh, so I try to, for each image, I take my time with my settings and everything to make sure that it's right for the conditions, for the light, etc. And uh, I just try to make, my style is an artistic type of style, to make the photos, um, just showing the birds in the best light they can be. You know, that's what I try to do. <laughs> well, and I think it's so interesting, too, that you mention just having them be in their natural habitat, because it probably takes a little bit longer, too, when you're just sitting back and waiting for those special yeah. moments. 
yeah, definitely takes a lot of patience. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. That's probably one of the big things, the big keys uh, to keep in mind. Are there other uh, tips that you would give a new birder, new photographer as they're starting their photography journey? I would say that they should, like I started off with doing a workshop. Um, it really helps to learn the skills of your camera, learning because learning shooting a DSLR camera or mirrorless or whatever you're going to start shooting, you need to really know your camera well and the settings and the making the best setting choices for the different conditions out there. And I think just taking a, that f- at least a first initial workshop to get that will help you a lot. It sure certainly helped me a lot. And then just getting out there as much as you can and taking pictures. It takes a lot of practice and trial and error and patience. So getting out there and doing every day, taking pictures as much as you can would, is really beneficial. And just giving the birds their space and letting them come to you, I think, is much more rewarding and you get better pictures that way with a bird that's not stressed. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that ethics component is really important to just making sure that the birds are having their space and kind of just integrating yourself into their world. For sure. And have you taught anyone photography? I have it myself, but I definitely, I give the young birders tips about photography, but they also give me tips. I mean, one of my young birders, Liron Gertzman, which you've probably seen on Instagram, is an amazing photographer. He's had his photographs in museums all around the world and stuff like that. And he he's taught me a lot about how to use the camera. And uh, I think these young uh, photographers don't need my help too much. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that they appreciate, though, getting to chat. Uh, yeah, all all bird stuff with you and all the photography stuff with you. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of young birders, you founded the BC Young Birder Program. Yes. And you're also a mentor for new and emerging birders. So I'd really mm-hmm. love for you to talk a little bit more about the BC Young Birder Program and how it first came about. Yeah, so I started that in 2014. And I was like, I go out birding almost every day I can. And I would see young birders birding alone, but they'd be birding very intensely. And I could see they were very passionate about it. And I thought, well, I should form a group and get these young birders together because some of them had not met each other. And I asked them if they, you know, I asked them individually, would you like that idea? And they all were very gung ho. And I started this young birders program. And uh, we started out with, I think, about six kids. And it grew to over 25 kids across the wow. province and we'd take them on well just me <laughs> I'd take them on field trips I'd rent a, a van and we'd go on field trips and go birding and you know I'd take them to areas outside of Vancouver so they'd see areas where they're different birds from their home so like interior and stuff like that and across the province and their parents were so wonderful and supportive it was just really great to see how they were so supportive of their kids and the kids, you know, I sure I mentored them and stuff, but they sure taught me a lot and brought so much joy to my life from, you know, taking them on these field trips and just seeing their passion and their love for not just nature, but conservation and habitat restoration. And many of them now who have graduated from the program have gone on into university studying biology and Um, yeah ecology and so they're really you know bringing a lot of hope for the future and good stewards for the future wow that's so wonderful 
I, yeah, I'm, I'm so impressed by some of these young kids that we see up and coming. As you said, there's just so much hope for the future and everything that they have to bring to the community as a whole. Mm-hmm. And so young birders, what age group is that? So it's from age 11 till 18. Okay. Yeah. And they can join kind of at any point in that time. They don't have to be associated with any kind of school or anything. Like nope. That. It's open to anybody. <laughs> That's perfect. And how yep. how often would you meet? Well, I would go on field trips, uh, eight to twelve field trips a year, and they usually be over the summer. Of course, okay. there'd be some in the winter for uh, the Christmas bird count for youth, and then a couple in the winter. But most of them would take place in the summer when the youth are out of school. Okay. If somebody wanted to start their own young birder program, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, I think that's a great question, and I hope more people do start it. I think the best thing to do is, you know, talk to the youth that you're seeing and see if there's interest, and then creating a website or getting a, you know, your local Audubon Association or another nature club to support you and help you with insurance or things like that would be great because, you know, it, it is it does become pricey to run these things, so you have to find some way to have funding for it. Either the parents have to pay in full or an organization can help with that. And once you partner with an organization like I did, I partnered with uh, the British Columbia Field Ornithologists. Mm -hmm. They helped pay for the gas, the insurance, um, car rentals, things like that. And then the parents paid a portion. So, And then for kids who cannot afford it, we had subsidies where they got full coverage. So I think those are really, you know, helpful you can partner with a, a local nature club or organization that would support it and most most will because they want to foster youth in in nature and birding. Yeah, that's a really good point too about getting that additional community support. And would yeah. a lot of the kids coming in would they already have binoculars and a field guide or some of the gear that they needed or uh, most of them did, but some of them didn't, and I would I secured binoculars. Either I bought it myself or I got companies to donate it to them, uh, to the kids. And a lot of there was a lot of people who supported my program, who like birders in the community who would donate their older cameras and give the youth. Well, they were very nice cameras, and they'd give them to the youth that they wow. don't no longer use. Koa has been really good. Um, by giving free binoculars for my youth. So has Vortex. So those are two companies that I really think are great. They really support not only youth, but diversity in birding. And uh, I I really applaud those two companies. That's great to know. Perfect. With the Young Birder programs too, what's a good way to promote those kinds of programs or kind of get the word out about them? You mentioned starting a website, but what sorts of things did you do also to promote your program in the community? Well, I run the BC Rare Bird Alert website, and that lets birders around the province know about rare birds, and I put it up there. Um, the blog, of course, people can use Facebook or uh, Instagram, too, or Twitter. All those things help out. And, of course, word of mouth by getting pe- just getting out there and talking to the parents. That's very important because the parents need to trust you with their children. And, of course. Um, yeah, so I think that's the vital thing is connecting with parents and the youth. And nowadays, technology is probably the best way to get those youth interested. Uh, most of them contacted me by email. Um, I mean, I started in 2014 when 
that was before Instagram was really big or things like that. Yeah. But <laughs> still, the nowadays, I think those are the best ways to get people interested is Facebook or Instagram. Also, yes, word of mouth, talking to parents, talking to the youth themselves. And I think that's the number one way is trying to connect to the youth themselves. But just to find youth in the community, I think, yeah, you need to get online and get them that way. Okay, that's a good point. Trying to find the spaces where they're spending time and interacting with them there. For sure. Okay, yeah. And once you get your website, though, they can find you. And that's how many of them found me. (laughs) Okay, that's good to know. Well, and your website is so comprehensive. There's so much information on there for people. So as, as far as other resources in general go, so I'm sure they knew that you would be a good mentor and a good resource anyway just from seeing everything that you have on there thank you do you have a particular experience that you had with the young birder program that especially stands out something that the kids really loved and enjoyed doing as as an activity or as an event that you all did together that others might be able to emulate well I think well we had so many amazing times together Mm -hmm. from going on pelagics and seeing lifers to you know, just going around our local parks here. But I do think the one that stands out to me, the memory that stands out to me is getting white-tailed ptarmigan. That was a bird that we've been trying on several, for several years to get on many field trips. We do these long hikes and I, we finally got them um, on, after a 13 kilometer hike on a mountain called Elal mountain, which is in the Fraser Valley. And that was just an incredible moment we ended up with five birds and we it was a tough hike and the kids were just so excited and we all hugged each other and it was just it was just such an amazing moment to see these ptarmigan five ptarmigan after searching for so many years together because it's quite an elusive bird even though they're not doing too poorly it's just they're hard to find on mountains and uh it was just just truly magical that's incredible Yeah. yeah And you said that it took years leading up to that, just getting to that point. <laughs> oh, yeah. We we did about eight hikes before we found one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then we ended up with five, and we all got amazing pictures. And it was hard to leave the time again because we had a mother with chicks. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And how far, how far away from Vancouver is that located? How far did you have to go to get there? That was about a 2.5 hour drive and then a 13 hour hike, not 13 hours, sorry, 13 kilometer hike. Yeah, I still 13 kilometers. That's a long way. Yes, but we we do overnight trips and sometimes uh, go to a place called Tofino, which is like a five hour drive. And then we do overnight and uh, it's on Vancouver Island. We go to the interior and do overnights up there to find flammulated owl. And so, yeah, we I I take them pretty far. I love that. Do you feel like you're still getting, obviously there's that bird. Do you still feel like you're getting other new birds when you go out with them and you're exploring with them? Now it's getting tougher, but um, <laughs> our, we for the youth, we're still getting new birds when we've gone out. Cause like I said, we got flammulated owl, which was a new bird for many of them. That was in the summer and some other birds, but the flammulated owl was a big one because it's quite a hard bird to find as well. And we got good looks at it. Oh, good. Yeah. I would love if you would share about the BC Rare Bird Alert and sort of how that works and if that's just specific for BC and where else that occurs. Sure. Yeah, well, I run the BC Rare Bird Alert and uh, 
it's a website that started up here in 2010 by a guy named Russ Cannings, and he moved to Australia, not to Australia, to New Zealand, and then I took over that uh, website. I took that over in 2014, and what it does is it provides a list of all the rare birds in the province and the provincial rarities, and most birders in BC use that website to find rare birds. There's a big twitching community here, or in the States, they don't use the word twitching, but, you know, we're a bird chasing community here. And uh, a lot of people will go, the drop of a hat to go chase a mega rarity. Recently, we had a common pochard in uh, Victoria. And, wow. you know, I'll, I list the, the, the rarities on the website. And I know Nate Swick from the ABA takes uh, the rare birds from my website and puts them on there when on his weekly RBA updates that he does to provide for the ABA. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And so in Vancouver, most birders use that to chase rare birds. There's different regional sections. There's Vancouver and Peace and Vancouver Island, Okanagan. And I know people use that to chase rare birds across uh, Vancouver and the province. So it's amazing just to keep track of, you know, the different records of rarities that happen in, this province and yeah it's interesting especially in covid times how many birders are you know most of them are working from home and able to chase birds and they've been really compliant about following the health directives you know and staying two meters apart while looking at birds and it's been pretty good oh good well and that's so interesting to me so i i've never been very good at dropping everything at the drop of a hat (laughs) and and jetting off to find a bird except I did have a vermilion flycatcher which isn't really common for my area where I just moved to at all and I've never been to the southwest U.S. so when they when there was one that was spotted just about an hour north of me I said oh my gosh I think I'm gonna have to jump in my car (laughs) and go an hour to see this flycatcher yeah. And I did, I did not end up seeing it. It was the oh. only one. Yeah, it was the only one. But someone just, they did just post that they, it's still there. And I might have to try and go look again, but. Oh. <laughs> That's the part about the rare birds when you chase them. You never know if you're going to see them or not when you jump in your car and get going. <laughs> yeah, especially unless maybe there's another birder already around or there and they can point you in the right direction. But or there's a rare bird alert for other provinces too and also for other countries is that right i mean most provinces have one i know alberta has a website the alberta rare bird alert but yeah most provinces and and states have local rare bird alerts they may not have a website like mine but they they have either they use whatsapp or something like that to let others know about the rare birds or their their listservs things like that and in bc we have this BC Rare Bird Alert, which seems to work really good. <laughs> I'm really impressed by all the different work that you do, too. It sounds like 2014 was a big year for you. Oh, yeah. It seems like I put a lot on my plate. <laughs> <laughs> and kept a lot of it there. You've been doing it all since then. Yes. Wow. But it's fun for me. It's fun for me. I'm a somebody that likes rare birds, so it's not it's not a chore, you know. I enjoy chasing. I'm a chaser as well. So you also go and you chase the rare birds that you're oh, yes. hearing about. Definitely. Do you have a favorite one? That I've seen? Oh. Yeah. I know that's, that's a hard question. That's hard to pick, but I really do like the field fair. Uh, that was one of my favorite twitches I went on was to see a field fair in Salmon Arm. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. Beautiful thrush. Yeah. And they're, they're more common in Europe. Is that right? Yes, that's right. Wow. Made it all, all the way over here. <laughs> yes. But yeah, that's the good thing about birding is there's so many different things you can do. You don't have to be a chaser. You can just enjoy your common birds. You don't you can be casual. You can be as, as much as you like. That's the great thing, I think, about this hobby. I totally agree. There's so many different forms and facets that birding can take place, even if you want to be a little bit more competitive about it or go and chase different birds or just go out in your backyard and watch birds. I totally agree. Exactly. So particularly as a mentor to young birders and you yourself being a woman and a black birder, where and how as a community can we provide more support for birders who identify with underrepresented groups in the birding community to get them involved in birding or in STEM in general? I think there's a long way that community needs to go to make people of color feel more included. And I think ways that they can do this is by having qualified people of color on records committees, you know, putting them where they're traditionally not seen, uh, leading field trips for local natural organizations in Audubon, getting out there and being put in positions of, of what's considered power in the birding world so that they're shown to be competent and deserving of respect as well as other people. And I think those will go a long way. Also having walks to be inclusive. So Mm -hmm. walks that are geared towards including people of color, LGBTQ+, all that is very imperative. And also supporting organizations that are pro-diversity. My Young Birders program was always stating that everyone is welcome and it's welcome to everyone, people of color, transgender, you know, LGBTQ plus anyone. And Mm -hmm. I think that's really important to not just assume that people think they're welcome, but put it out there that they're welcome because uh, it's no longer enough to just say, to say that, well, it's known that everyone's welcome. No, we have to be actively anti-racist if we want to make people feel that they're safe. I just led a BIPOC walk actually for Birds Canada um, for Vancouver Bird Week. That was in in the summer. I led that walk and there was people of color on that walk, of course, and they told me that they didn't feel safe going on walks here. And this Mm. is right in BC, Vancouver, a very multicultural city, but they said they didn't feel safe because they didn't know that they were welcome. They never felt welcome. Because when you go and see only Caucasian people on a walk or leading it, they just didn't feel that they're welcome. And they see that the records committees are all only Caucasian people and things like that. Mm-hmm. So they told me that it felt really good to be able to go on a walk that was designed for people of color. So I think it is important that we know that we can't just assume that everybody is feels welcome but make sure that we tell them directly they are welcome and work on being truly anti-racist thank you for that answer i think that's so important too is specifically being open and and saying everybody is welcome and being open about saying that and making sure that that's put out there and as you said with your young birders program and anyone else who's planning to start a young birders program or any other kind of program or bird outing or anything that that information should be at the forefront and should be well advertised. 
also uh, pertaining to that too, how can we better work on eliminating the obstacles that are out there right now in the birding community and in birding groups to ensure that we're progressively incorporating diversity, equity, and inclusion into our birding endeavors? Okay, well, I think that we need to, first of all, admit there's a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been some organizations that even I've worked with that don't really want to admit that there is a systemic racism problem and an inclusion problem where people don't feel included. It's not just for racism, but also sexism. And I think we need to admit that there is there are barriers to this, to these people, and that we need to actively work to make sure that these people feel included in all aspects of birding so that they, because they can contribute so much and they're so welcome and we need to make them feel that they really are welcome. And I think that too many organizations are not doing enough. They just assume everyone's welcome and it's not enough anymore. And I really feel like if they make steps to be more inclusive, have more women leading walks, have more people of color leading walks, have more people on committees making decisions in in roles that are traditionally held by white men, things will slowly show that there's change. And when you put that out there, only good things can come out of having a diverse group leading your local birding organizations, right? When you have people of different backgrounds and different sexes, they're giving going to give different inputs that are going to only make your organization better. Yeah, exactly. I I really appreciate that so much. And as you mentioned earlier, too, being able to also work toward ensuring that everything that you're putting in place is incorporating that inclusion and providing the opportunity for inclusion and opportunity to happen. So just as you were saying, even with your Young Birders program, I think that extends into so many other facets, too. Yes, I think so. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for that answer. I really appreciate you addressing that. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. And I would love if you would share also with people where they can go to stay updated on the work you're doing and to keep updated with you in general. Sure. So I have the website daretobird.blogspot.com. That's my personal blog. If you want to check out the rare birds in the province, it's bcbirdalert.blogspot.com. And I also am on Instagram. And my handle is at bcbirdigo. Perfect. And I'll make sure that I link to all of those in the podcast show notes that people can easily find them as well. Wonderful. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Melissa. I really appreciate it. And I am just so in awe of everything that you've been working on and doing. And I'm looking forward to seeing everything that you have to do in the future. Well, thank you so much, Krista. It was a pleasure to be on. So there you have it. I'm so grateful to Melissa for taking the time to chat with me about all of these topics. You can follow her again at the handle at bcbirdergirl on Instagram, and you can read her blog posts and latest reports at daretobird.blogspot.com. Thanks so much for tuning into the Birding Tools podcast, and I hope this material was helpful to you. To access information about the content I've mentioned in the show and the show notes, visit our website at birdingtools.com. You can follow Birding Tools on Instagram and Facebook with the handle at Birding Tools. And in case you didn't already know, I send out weekly emails detailing the content discussed on the podcast, along with some helpful, actionable tips and information. To get on my email list, simply visit the website or email me at hello at birdingtools.com. 
Next week, I'm talking about some of the biggest struggles birders have with identifying birds, which I've taken from my own experiences and from insights other birders have shared with me. If you're looking to enhance your bird ID skills, this episode is for you. If you enjoyed this episode and want to get updates on the latest birding tools has to offer, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening now. See you next time.